Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And Alice, guess what? What? We are back to usual business with this brand new episode that I'm really excited to share with everybody because we've got some like really unique perspectives on it. Yeah, um, I was really excited to propose this topic to you, buddy, and I'm glad that you uh, took it and ran with it. Um, we're going to be talking about, um, well, I've tentatively named this episode uh, Tourism, Tourists, and Tours. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, about how a city or a, uh, a location where people live can become a tourist attraction and a theme park maybe all on its own. And we're going to talk about our experience growing up in Southern California and then um, some recent travel experiences that, um, that, that we have. So I'm really excited to uh, have this conversation with you. Yeah, this is going to be really interesting because tourism and, and tours and being a tourist uh, are all adjacent to theme parks, rides and attractions. Um, and yet we have constantly come back to this idea that like for us, that wasn't really the case. We didn't get to experience theme parks as tourists because theme parks were basically our backyard, our local hangout spot. Um, and these international destinations for us were very commonplace, which, which, you know, puts us in a, in a place where maybe we're, um, a little jaded. Maybe we're a little, um, we, we are unable to see the exciting beauty of some of these things because very little of it was ever new for us. Very little of it was novel. Yeah. And, and not just theme parks. And this is why I wanted to, to bring up this topic, um, because, we didn't just grow up near theme parks, but we grew up in a really major tourist city. We grew up in Los Angeles or in Los Angeles County. And um, and so not not just uh, the theme parks that are in Los Angeles or Orange County, like Disneyland, Universal, Knott's Berry Farm, Six Flags Magic Mountain, like all of these these um, the, like really popular tourist attraction theme parks, but the city itself was a really major tourist attraction and often kind of gets treated like a theme park. Yeah. I mean, whenever we had guests from out of town at my house growing up, they wanted to do some of the famous Southern California things. Um, they wanted to walk on Venice beach. They wanted to uh, see the stars on the sidewalk in Hollywood uh, they wanted to see the Chinese theater. Uh, they wanted to see the Hollywood sign. In fact, Hollywood, in a lot of ways, is this uh, tourist destination. This uh, this place that people have an idea of what it is. And they want to fulfill that idea by experiencing it. And this is where I kind of come at this uh, in a really complicated way. Because I have only ever once enjoyed hanging out in Hollywood and that was the first time I hung out in Hollywood <laughs> uh, and since then I've always been like I can go do one thing in Hollywood and then leave as quickly as possible because it's a terrible place right the the most recent time I took an out-of-town visitor to Hollywood we drove up there it took a long time because of traffic we parked, we got out, we walked around, we took some pictures, we got back in the car and left. That we were there maybe two hours. And um, 
and it's because so much of the imagery about Hollywood is really just like a like a four block stretch of Hollywood Boulevard between like Vine and Highland. Um, that's just uh, that's just the Walk of Fame and the Chinese Theater and uh, a view of the Hollywood sign and all of those characters that you can take pictures with out in front of uh, of the Chinese Theater. Yeah. Um, and, which reminds me so much of, of like Disneyland and walk around characters, but you have to like pay these people and they're not like they're just buskers and a lot of them are um, their costumes are like really filthy and uh, um and it, yeah, it's like uh, it, 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 to the point where it's it's kind of off-putting and, and scary actually i and i and i think maybe it's kind of the the metaphor for hollywood itself though that uh, just like the movies that hollywood makes there's this really glamorous like reputation and facade but really at the end of it it's just kind of a bunch of Southern Californians doing their best. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a lot of people trying really hard to present good images. And you've got to hand it to Hollywood. It's a it's a part of Los Angeles that really does have some beautiful images. But an image isn't an experience. And while an image can be very popular and can be something that you want to experience, it's not always going to pan out the way that you expect so the hollywood sign looks very small and unimpressive from a lot of hollywood um the walk of fame like you said is very short the chinese theater is is a movie theater so the thing to do there is to see a movie working working movie theater that shows (laughs) films yeah i mean like that's pretty good you can't even go inside the dolby theater where they um where they do the oscars you have to get like you have to pay for a private tour and and honestly, between the two theaters right there, I prefer the Egyptian over the Chinese, but that's just me. Um, I like it, the Egyptian like theater, and I like the El Capitan Theater, and like Jimmy Kimmel films down there. And there's like like a a lot of things to see for people who have never been to California before. But it's very overwhelming, and yeah. not uh, not a lot of doesn't have a lot of substance. Yeah, it's it's a, a couple of great photo opportunities in a lot of ways. And I mean, if that's what you're after, more power to you. But it has never been very appealing to me. So, Alice, I guess what, what I'm getting to is that we have these norms that we experience in our daily lives. And when we go and tour another place, we want to see the highlights. We want to see the best of that place. And sometimes what is the best and what is attractive to tourists is not necessarily the same thing. But what is the best of a place? That's an interesting question. Um, And it's a question that's kind of complicated because best means different things to different people, right? So when I go home, there are things that for me are the best. It's, you know, a restaurant I haven't been to in a long time or it's time with my friends at a place that's nostalgic or it's, you know, something calming and relaxing and that, that feels very home to me and lived in. And I think a lot of people get this, uh, this feeling, especially if they've moved away from home. Uh, Alice, I'm sure you get that, too. I do. And when I was when I was living, I am I am now home. And uh, part of the reason why um, we had such a long hiatus was that I was moving home. Um, but when I was away, I whenever I would I would come back, it was I'm not going to come back and 
go to Hollywood as I, oh, I'm in California again for the first time in a while. I'm going to go visit Hollywood. No, I was coming home to my favorite bar with friends from high school. And it might not be the best bar in Los Angeles, but it is my favorite bar or the best bar for me and my local friends. And so that question of, of what is best or like what is the best of the city versus what are the the highlights of the city uh is a is a really good one i'm glad that you that you brought it up because it made me think of um of a trip i took to when i was in france and i went to the louvre and we did a and 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 everybody says when you do a tour of the louvre like you've got to do in like several days like the 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 museum is just so big you could never see the whole thing in one day. Well, we had like 6 hours and which is not even a full day and we did what they called a like a highlights tour and they took us to uh we saw the Mona Lisa and we saw the Venus de Milo and we saw the Statue of Victory and we you know we saw the the like most famous pieces of the Louvre but as we were walking through rooms to get from one masterpiece to another we are passing all of these other really incredible pieces of, of art that I didn't ever that I didn't get a chance to sit down and, and look at. And I think that is a like a like a metaphor almost for like visiting Paris in general. So I'm there and I'm seeing the Louvre and that's, you know, a, a highlight of of the city. So but I didn't get to go to every little hole in the wall restaurant. I didn't get to uh, experience what it's like to like really live there. I didn't I can say I visited Paris, but I could never say that I like know Paris or that I did Paris like, uh, oh, I, I, I hit all of the best parts of Paris. No, I hit the highlights of Paris. Um, sure. But yeah, that's um, yeah, it, we did the, the highlights of the Louvre while taking a highlights of Paris trip. And that's um, <laughs> highlights on highlights, huh? Yeah. And, and I guess I guess there's something to be said for the different layers of experience, a place just like we've talked about in previous episodes where there's the first pass through where you're just kind of trying to see everything. And then there's maybe subsequent pass throughs where you get deeper and deeper layers. I wonder if there's a final layer. I really don't think there is actually. Uh, and this actually takes me to, to two things that make us uniquely perspectived in this as well. Perspectived is a verb. Sure. Um, <laughs> so Alice, you moved to New York for over a year. Yeah, I was there uh, about a year and a half. So here's a thing that I hear said in movies featuring New York. <laughs> uh, you know, I've lived here my whole life and I've never been to the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> I um, mean, yeah, a very, a very possible feat, I think. Uh, it's not as if you were going off to the Statue of Liberty every day. You lived no. and worked there. I lived in, and worked there, but... I visited the Statue of Liberty. I mean, I visited when I was a kid, but also when I lived there, I'm, I guess I'm the sort of person who, when I have time off, I'm running. I I was like, Oh, I've got a day. I'm going to go down to, I'm going to go down to Battery Park and sit on a bench and watch the ships go by like, like that. And then there's the Statue of Liberty, like right there, you know, like it's just, it was a, uh, when I was living there, I met a lot of people that said, Oh, I've lived here my whole I've I've lived here for 5 years and I've never seen a Broadway show or um yeah, it, I did hear that a lot and and I personally tried to avoid that when I was like, well, I'm when I live in New York, I'm going to do everything. 
And um, that's that's just me. Uh, let's. Is there anything in um, in in Southern California that that like? Do you think there's an example for for us? Do you think? Oh, I've lived in Los Angeles my whole life and I've never. Huh. You know that's really interesting because for for the longest time, and this speaks to like another like piece of the puzzle here of understanding places for the longest time i didn't think of los angeles as a city with much to offer um i saw it as uh, a really big city with a lot of freeways and really awful traffic (laughs) that um you know you could the deeper you got into the city where presumably the cool stuff was if you were a tourist uh, the worst it would, the worse it would be. Uh, the le- the least, the less interesting it would get. Um, to the point where sometimes I would end up in downtown LA, uh, walking between big skyscrapers. Uh, when I worked down there, and there's nothing there. There are these big skyscrapers where presumably business happens. Uh, I don't really understand what skyscrapers <laughs> do or are. Um, and. At ground level, there there are no locations. There's um, there's no shops. There's no life. It's just kind of barren sidewalks that are usually kind of dark because you're always in a shadow of a skyscraper. So like, but I mean, there are that, things that you, colored my perception a lot. You'll run into uh, you know, like when you're walking at that level, you say there are no shops and no and no entrances, but. There's there'll be like a 7-Eleven on a corner and the people who live and work in the building that you're walking under go there when they need sure, to. Sure, like that's their 7-Eleven and that's like that deeper layer. That's like, I'm not visiting this place. That's where I go. This, this is, is like my spot. Yes. Um, and and where I'm sitting, right, where I'm sitting right now in my very own house, there, I, I'm sure there are people who pass through this area all the time who don't think there's much of anything here. Uh, so I completely understand that. And I, I I was wrong about Los Angeles, actually. Um, there's a lot there. There are amazing cultural events happening constantly. There are uh, small-time shows happening everywhere. Uh, there's great bars and bookshops and parks. You just got to know where to look for them. And you just got to know the place. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I was old enough, mobile enough, and willing to slow down and check it out that Los Angeles really opened up. And I think that's another thing about places is that the layers present themselves to those who look um, or those who have time to see the layers. Uh, and and that's something that I, I've been working on because I feel like it actually comes down to a lack of perspective personally speaking on my part um so i'm trying to get there um and and really try to find the the little places that that aren't necessarily considered highlights um that people don't really know about yeah i i i want to i want to roll back just like a little bit to uh what you were saying about people who come through your neighborhood and and maybe think oh there's nothing to do here but you know better um i want to roll uh to I'm gonna roll to people because you live in a, in a little suburb uh, in the Bay Area, yes, and and so you wouldn't typically in your particular little town would not see a lot of tourists necessarily. You can go no. two cities over and find you know you then you're in San Francisco or Berkeley, you know where there's a lot of tourists and a sure. lot of visitors. Um, but um, what if you? I mean, if you lived in 
in San Francisco. And there were uh, all constantly groups of tourists walking by every single day and like taking pictures. Of, say, what if you lived in a historical building or something and they took pictures of your home and your your like your like privacy almost like every single day. Do you think that 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 is I, I, I want to say like invasive or uh, I mean, obviously invasive, it's people's homes and their privacy. But do you think if you lived in a major city in a historical building that um, that is something that would be expected of you or um, like that, that you just have to allow people to do um, or you know, if somebody's driving by your home and taking a picture of your house, like, do you, can you be a little uh, angry about it? It does sound, I don't know about angry, but it does sound exhausting. Um, it does sound it exhausting. Sounds, it sounds like the kind of thing that, um, that I personally would definitely not want. Uh, and I, I could imagine that a lot of people who perhaps live in these more historic buildings, I mean, they might know that their building is significant or historic. So they might have come to terms with that, right? That there's, there's something here that people consider worth looking at. So people are going to look at it. I also feel like the city itself might be responsible for some of this, like kind of playing up things like the painted ladies, which are these houses on one of the Hills in San Francisco that are very steep and they have very pretty, (laughs) facades and, Very and good I, example. I think thank you for actually coming up with an example and not just a right. hypothetical <laughs> right and these painted ladies are, are really famous to the point where um you know if you're just walking around in san francisco and you see people who are obvious tourists and they're looking for instructions it's usually to find the painted ladies here's the thing about the painted ladies uh there are the painted ladies that people think are the ones that they're looking for the ones that you can see on the opening credits of full house and <laughs> That's all well and good. And you can go see the full house house if you want. But a lot of San Francisco has houses in that style. So kind of look wherever you want to find the painted ladies. These particular houses that people take a lot of pictures of are significant mostly because of full house, um, which is kind of ridiculous um, that like that a TV show used it for its exterior shots once. I didn't um, even think about that because I... I... Yeah, I, I know that they use them in the credits of Full House, but I didn't, I guess, realize that that's the biggest reason why they're famous. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're, they're really gorgeous. They're pretty and they're architecturally significant and things like that. And it's worth it to take a picture. But people will make the pilgrimage to the Full House house, which is not by the other painted ladies. It's in its own little corner of the neighborhood. Um but are the the people who live in the Full House house, um, because they live in a culturally significant place, are they less entitled to like their? I I, I don't want I don't want to say less entitled to privacy because of course everyone is entitled to privacy. But right. like, is there? Here's, their here's, house is everywhere on everybody's Instagrams. Do they just have to deal with that? I, they, I I feel like. It's not a question of what, because everybody has a right for privacy and everybody has a right to be left alone in their own homes and stuff, right? But I guess the question is, do people have the right to infringe a little? Uh, Do people have the right to take the picture, to share it, uh, to go and find these particular houses? Is that something we should be allowed to do or encouraging? 
And my gut reaction is kind of, if this is a person's place of residence, it's definitely more complicated than a hard yes. It might not be a hard no, but there are more questions to ask before you say, this is an okay thing to do. Um, right. And that's kind of where I, I stand, is that it's it's more complicated than just a yes or a no. Yeah, and and it and the question changes a little bit when you change it from oh this is one person's private residence to oh this is a historical city itself and and like the city itself becomes like a theme park when the city is like important historically or or, or is unique architecturally or is uh and something like that like uh, if you go to see go to New Orleans for example and you're running around the French Quarter like people live there. Uh, in these like old beautiful houses um and it's a very very important place historically culturally visually all of the above so i think people that that live in those areas just kind of have an expectation of like a little bit less privacy than than most than pretty much anybody else and, and i, I think suppose there's you... an expectation to play the part too to, to yeah. kind of perform perform the culture of, say, the French Quarter, or to perform yeah. the culture of beautiful downtown San Francisco. Yeah, if uh, you live in one of the painted lady houses, you take on the responsibility of upkeeping the house paint color, of doing the lawn all pretty. You know your house is going to be in a lot of pictures, so you take care to, and like, put on a little show to make it extra special. Yeah. Uh, and you become kind of like a, an attraction at the th entire city that is a theme park, right? And like, man, Alice, I, I just got to say, again, exhausting. That sounds exhausting. It is exhausting. It sounds, it does sound exhausting. And, and, and that's not even touching on the idea. So those are like, the houses are significant. But like, LA has a ton of these um, celebrity home tours where you hop on like a like a double decker bus and they drive you through the neighborhoods of like Beverly Hills and Bel Air and then like park you in front of someone's house and they're like oh yeah Brad Pitt lives there or you know some and and then you it's not the house that you're there for it's the person inside and like that's a whole different ball game altogether yeah but that, that's a, that a kind completely of thing, different can of beans but it's not a good can. It's a really bad can, but that those are those tours are not only legal, but they are extremely popular in in Los Angeles. And um, I just, yeah, I, I wonder where the um, where the line between uh, like uh, a very like exploitative. Uh, I don't even know if I said that word right. Exploitative. Exploitative uh, or tasteful tour, like. Yeah, you could take a maybe you take a tour through Beverly Hills and Bel Air and look at all of those beautiful, beautiful homes. But to like do it specifically to look for a person or to say, oh, a you know, an individual human being lives there. That that the line the line between those things is really distinct. And I think, yeah, I think those I love a good city tour. I was saying that I have been on plenty of double decker bus tours in cities all over the world. Where you just hop on the on the double decker bus and you get on the top floor and you just drive around the city for like a while, like a few hours, just seeing like the highlights. It's the highlight reel of the city. I've done it in New York and Dublin, in London, in Mexico City, and most recently in Cusco, Peru. Um, and 
and they're great. They're super fun. And you learn a lot about the history of the city and you can see a lot from that vantage point. And, and they're, they're really, really fun to do, but that's, I'm looking at historical building. I'm driving past parliament and, and uh, Buckingham palace, or I guess that's a private residence too, but, um, and, and not, driving on a double-decker bus through a neighborhood to gawk at someone through their curtains. Uh, you know, the dif- the difference between those two tours is really um, kind of shocking. Uh, I would never do a celebrity tour. That's not, that's not for me. <laughs> you know, the more you talk about these city tours, the more I feel like I should share a piece of my life. Um, I am working part-time doing city tours in San Francisco. Um, I cannot believe that you ended up doing this. It's such a cool job, I think, for you to do something I think I know you'd be really good at. And I cannot wait to crash one of your tours. Oh, man, it's going to be so fun. And, you know, something that uh, that keeps coming up for me is that uh, as somebody who doesn't live in San Francisco, but lives next to it, uh, I can I can sometimes see the Golden Gate Bridge from a, a place pretty close to my house. Um, you know, the city has become more and more familiar to me the longer I've lived here, but it also is home to just so much. Like, there's so much muchness there. <laughs> uh, it is an old city. Uh, I mean, not old by European standards, but, you know, pretty old by American standards. Uh, that has been destroyed and rebuilt several times because of earthquakes and fires. Uh, It's a city with a lot of famous architecture, the Golden Gate Bridge being just one of many uh, famous landmarks, including Coit Tower and the Bay Bridge and, um, you know, the Trans-American Building and things like that. Uh, So so people come to San Francisco looking to see these things and uh, at my tour company, we're able to show them these things. However, I, I don't know. I'm just learning the job right now. And there are parts where we're just kind of walking through a neighborhood or uh, just kind of by a local church that happens to be very pretty. Um, and there are also parts of the tour that are like, here's the In-N-Out and the Krispy Kreme and uh, here's Pier 39 which is essentially a mall really there's not a lot happening there that's like San Francisco specific Um, and that's all well and good too but it's an odd contrast between these tight alleyways that have survived since the early 1900s where people do just live down these streets and it's not as if we're stopping and taking pictures and ogling these houses but you know, if you want to show off this part of the city's history, it's pretty much one of the only places you can do so. And then also we can hang out by the in and out and like <laughs> snap selfies at the Ripley's Believe It or Not and the Wax Museum. Like, I don't know, Alice, it's it's a weird contrast. Um, and it reminds me a lot of Los Angeles in that way, where there's these very um, kind of over over sheened areas and then there's also this just kind of people live here and do their business here and it's a functioning city as well it's not an attraction it's a place it's a very personal place for a lot of people uh and to give people a hint of that uh culture and a hint of that history 
is a really rewarding process, but it is a complicated one because people are paying to see these things that are freely available to see. So I guess what they're really paying for is the commentary and the the information um, and for kind of the constructedness of the experience, which does remind me of a theme park. Uh, if a theme park didn't have an admission fee and didn't really have attractions, but at least had like a outdoor kind of constructed area that you could walk through. I mean, I guess that's just a park, but you know what I'm saying? Like huh. a, a themed area well, that you could walk through. It well, would, that, that would be the difference between a park and a theme park, right? You're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of what a city is in a lot of ways. It's these areas that are themed to... I don't know, necessity at a certain time in history. And uh, viewing them can be really novel and exciting, but also they're just kind of there and you're allowed to walk past them whenever you want. So it's it's a strange dichotomy almost that a, that a place that is so normal for so many can also be a tourist attraction. And myself over here just kind of riding the line as somebody who commutes in and still thinks that's kind of exciting um, <laughs> and uh, and gets to show off the highlights, um, but never really like get beyond that layer, which I feel like is only a layer deeper than being a tourist. So that's kind of where I am. And it, it, no. it's an odd feeling for sure. No, I, I, I love that. And I loved your perspective on that. And uh, and I, I wonder what the difference would be between giving the, the, a tour of a city where so much of the city is just practical and lived in and 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 not kind of not worth not not worth looking at but like like the in and out or, or whatever you just say oh well that's just a thing we we have this as a restaurant that we eat at it's not like a like it's not themed and it's not uh like historically or culturally important i wonder what the difference would be between doing something like that and giving a tour at a theme park my aunt used to do that. She used to to be a Disneyland tour guide. And I I wonder when when you're giving somebody a tour of a place where everything is specifically themed and designed to look at whereas you're giving a tour where you're just saying welcome to my city that I live in, let me show you around a little bit. I w- I wonder what the the difference there would be. What which one would be I, I honestly like I wonder if one's more like significantly more difficult than the other I mean you're it, or if they're um, or if they require the same like level of showmanship do you do you feel like you have to 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 give a lot or, or like a, be in character for this uh, for this like performance for this tour that you're giving them oh absolutely i mean it's a it's a very genuine character it's a character that's a lot like me um and yet it's a uh, but again it's different because a, a tour in a city must compete with the city which has its own character um and has its own uh needs and its own quirks i mean we take our tour through areas of very dense traffic. Um, and the other day I was on a tour in the driving, pouring rain, toiling on this tour. The people that were on it were so excited to be on. And yet, um, 
I, they weren't letting the, the rain dampen their spirits, is what I'm trying to say. That's nice. Uh, and yet, the, the city seemed almost turned against them in this. Like, oh, you want to see the sights, eh? Well, what if the sights were invisible because of all the fog? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Like, gotcha. I don't think a theme park um, necessarily can do that. It can't uh, create a traffic jam that slows the tour down. And it can't... Uh, I mean, the weather can go bad, but a, a theme park is designed around that. So what you but get what is, if... is kind of a, a more constructed, and I hate to go keep going back to that word, but a, a more controlled experience too. But what if that control, like, like I, I guess why I wonder which ones are 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 more difficult uh, would would be like that controlled experience where you're like, oh, I'm giving this tour, and it's the same tour every time, no variables. But then there is a variable. There's there's more there's there's room for improvisation where you don't expect there to be you expect there to be improvisation and to have to dodge around uh, obstacles and cars and traffic and and things like that where you where you're expected to be able to do that B- but in a in a case where somebody's like oh i'm going to give this tour of disneyland and oh this attraction or this part of the park is totally shut down and i can't i can't give that to them i just i just wonder I'd, I'd really like to talk to somebody who gives uh, tours at Disney or somewhere now. That would be like, a I'd very really like cool, that. So, um, that would be a very cool guest, for sure. I really like If anybody who's listening knows someone who is currently a, a tour guide or something equivalent at a theme park, I would really like to talk to you. Please email me at alicewhitepodcast yeah. at gmail.com. <laughs> All right. Um, and and you're right. There's something different there. And I, I think actually, and Alice, this might be a bit of a tangent, but um, when people go to Disneyland, they expect a perfect day every time. Yeah. Do, have you ever noticed that? Um, yes. When, when I yes. worked there, we shut down a pool once um, and <laughs> it was uh, it literally ruined somebody's vacation, according to them. Uh, and like, look, look, the pool had to be closed down. It was a bad time. Um, and this person was like, why can't it be fixed now? And I, my poor lowly lifeguard self was like, it just can't. (laughs) Uh, there's only (laughs) so much we can do. I say that all the time now in my current job. Yes. There's a lot as a, as a flight attendant, a lot of things can go wrong people miss connections or are late or delayed or um or any any number of things and and to 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 then be responsible for trying to like encourage them like it's gonna be okay it's a that's difficult didn't you have an experience at disneyland while you were a cast member where somebody tried to tell you that they could change the weather there uh where, yeah, where somebody actually, was like they yeah it was not directly to me but to one of my coworkers who came who came dying with laughter to me afterwards who this this guest at Disney insisted to my coworker that Disney uh, had like a bubble around Disneyland in Anaheim that controlled the weather inside and like uh, and, and had just decided that it was going to be a rainy day that day and that the this person was like no, that's unacceptable. No rainy days on my vacation. Change it. And this this cast member, who literally was just a cast member at a store in downtown Disney, was like, uh, no, like, that's not a thing. That's not possible. I'm sorry that it's raining. I hope your day gets better. 
and, and they were like, no, I demand to change it. <laughs> don't you think that if it was possible, they would never let it rain? You would think. <laughs> like, I, mean, I don't know. It, the, That's a no-brainer. It really, it was really bizarre. And she she just came to me and she was laughing so hard. She had tears in her eyes. She just like couldn't believe it. But but I get that mentality almost where she was expecting something. So she paid for this vacation and she was expecting to have just the best time of her life. And it was raining, which she wasn't expecting. And and that like expectation that or that that like quote unquote ruined expectations um, can be really can can be really hurtful, can can can, you know, definitely ruin somebody's day. Sure. But uh, to the point of losing reason altogether, like, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Well, I, I think what the the point that might connect us back to cities then as as attractions is that maybe where a city gets off easier is that people understand that this is a normal place as well so nobody's gonna yes. be like rain in san francisco can't you guys <laughs> do something about this <laughs> uh i feel <laughs> right. like i feel like i'm never going to get that question no, you won't. You might get some grumpy people, but they're not going to, hopefully, not going to blame you for their uh, for their rotten weather. Well, as you know, we do have that weather control tower, and sometimes we just mm, gotta gotta pour the rain on the tourists. That's just how gotta, it is. Gotta, it's just for fun. Yeah. I just love pouring rain on tourists. Yep. It makes me laugh. I made a call down to the weather department the other day. I was like, "Hey guys, uh, how about on Tuesday? It really just it just pours. What what do you guys think?" And they were like, "Yeah, man." Okay. Doing specifically it. to mess with one person. <laughs> it's not that there's a drought or anything and that rain weather control would literally fix the world. No, it's fine. It's fine. So no. anyways. It was, yeah, it's just strange. Uh, Alice, you know, this kind of brings me to another thing that I wanted to run past you. Um, hey, uh, would you mind uh, closing that sliding door there uh, and, and stepping into my office as you do? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Just uh, one second. Yeah. Okay, so so now that the sliding door is closed um, and I've activated the uh, noise dampening system, uh, welcome to my office. And I'm, I'm just going to push this button on the center of my desk here. I'm going to show you uh, my model city that I've built. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Uh, welcome to wow. welcome to it's very Walt this, Disney of this you. city. Yeah, um, you know, it's, I call it the experimental uh, prototype uh, tourism city of tomorrow. Oh. Uh, and what it is, it's a city that is so amazing that people will absolutely want to see it. Uh, and the great part about it is this is a city designed around that idea. So it's it's a city that business is conducted here and people live here. But uh, it is designed for tourists, and I've, I've built it that way. So we've got lots of public transit, and everybody in the city has a, a strict code of um, how they act towards tourists that they have to agree to, or they'll be kicked out of the city. Um, <laughs> and everything in the city is is city owned and city run, and we do have outside vendors and stuff, but they have to they have to agree to. Um, all of our, our our customs and our ways uh, and everybody dresses in, in similar costumes depending on what they do and oh my god this is a nightmare dystopia uh, send help it's just, Alice it's, I've done something terrible 
Yeah, I don't I don't know why you would bother building this giant model of a of a, a obviously doomed concept. You yeah, can't design a city for for tourists. You cannot design a city outright for tourists but also for locals. You can adapt a city to be more tourist friendly, just like a city might adapt to be more bike friendly or pedestrian friendly. <laughs> you can you can add more well, public transit is not necessarily for tourists. It's it's for locals and yeah, but it's like fun public transit. Like everything is like steam trains and monorails and people movers. It's like it's fun. Oh, okay, it's like very okay. exciting. All right, that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, but I mean, so like adapting a, a city to be more tourist friendly would maybe involves uh, tourist information centers and um, places for like really good like a really good place for those double-decker buses to pick up and drop off um, or more um, cultural events and maybe, oh, I don't know, a theme park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you add I guess, a theme park to the city to make it more tourist-friendly, right? I guess what, what draws people to cities if they want to go there and see them, I guess what draws people is um, particular landmarks, uh, say the Louvre or the Eiffel Tower, um, maybe the promise of a certain kind of a culture, say small cafes and uh, very good wine and perhaps uh, gourmet food and things like that. Um, and and other kinds of culture like the fine arts and dance and music and theater um, and things that you can only experience there. And I guess I guess what I was trying to say is, what if you tried to reverse engineer it? What if you tried to make that a thing? artificially and i think what i accidentally built was a theme park i think you accidentally built disneyland yeah and <laughs> and that's fine and that's all well and good but i wonder like walt disney was planning epcot and epcot was supposed to be an experimental prototype community of tomorrow and it was supposed to be a city that you could live in uh it eventually ended up to be you know the theme park as we know it today but uh, what if you went through with it? What if what if there was this city that was overly designed and and had an overt expectation of being a demonstration, a place that people could go to see what life might be like soon? And what would living in a place like that be like? Our closest example is a town called Celebration in Florida that <laughs> Disney planned and yeah. kind of owns i think it's complicated um and that's like a pretty quaint small town with like a, a fun little main street area but it's it's not remarkable and people find it to be a little creepy and overbearing the way disney's presence is so felt there um and i wonder like would, would anybody be successful in building a, a city of that scale um a city that is themed to a certain idea. Uh, it's something yeah, that I, I don't no think idea. makes sense. Uh, I think it's, it's kind of a little wrongheaded, but also is fascinating. Um, I, I love the idea of a, uh, a planned city that's designed to bring people in as an attraction itself. But I think that's, really artificial, very fake, and something that may not ever be done successfully, at least in my lifetime. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of life left, Alice. And, and as you know, we are both immortal beings. So yes, uh, of course, we should never say never. 
I don't I don't have anything to add to that. That was a that was an interesting topic that you uh, interesting uh, question that you posed. It's a it's a thought I, experiment, my 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 good yeah. sir. A thought experiment, <laughs> nothing more. I just yeah, I think you just just designed Disneyland, but instead of Main Street being all facades and just shops that like apartments are there and like people just live there full time, which like I, I mean, I'm a I'm gonna keep it real with do, you, Alice. I would live there I would if do, I could. I would live yeah. there. I would. Yeah. That sounds good. I would live in Disneyland. And like every block or so, there could be like a, a really intricate, highly themed like like attraction, and you could even you divide the the city up into maybe. Uh, variously themed quarters or kind of lands in that oh, sort of like a way. Lands. So it, okay, is that? Yeah, kind of a central area that's very neutrally themed that people could live in, and then kind of a, a, oh. a wheel of various <laughs> uh, themed areas around, sort of a hub and spoke sort of a, a design. Wow! Yeah, damn it, this is Disneyland. <laughs> it's shoot. It's just Disneyland <laughs> some more. And I know I just said that I want to live in Disneyland, but I take it back. I take it back. I don't want to live in Disneyland for the same reason why I don't want to live in downtown Los Angeles. I don't want my house or my privacy and my my space to be exploited. And I don't want that. Uh, I don't I don't want people just wandering out. I got kind of close when I was living in New York. I lived in like a really cool old um, brownstone building on the Upper West Side. Sure. And. People used to, I lived really close to um, to the Natural History Museum, and people used to leave the Natural History Museum and walk down my street to, like, find something to eat, and a lot of times I would see people taking pictures of my street and my building, um, but not, like, a lot. It's it's the same street as every other street on the on that part of the Upper West Side, so I wasn't seeing, like like hundreds or or even dozens of them at a time it was just you know the occasional like single person and that was honestly enough for me like that was that was fine like one person appreciating the beauty of my building like a week versus living in Disneyland where you would have literally tens of thousands of people uh walking down your street uh, a day I don't know I couldn't do it I take I take it all back I don't want to live in Disneyland anymore Unless it's no, I, uh, the Haunted Mansion neighborhood that right. we proposed. If, if we built a Haunted Mansion neighborhood, as as proposed in a previous episode, that would be totally fine. Uh, I would With our scary house neighbors. With our yeah. scary house neighbors. Um, so I guess, Alice, there's a word there that I want to kind of hone in on um, and hear your take on something that you told me you wanted to bring up in this episode. And yes. that word is exploited. Uh, if, if a place is a resource that has limited capacity that can handle a certain amount of people going in and out of it, and that place is a resource that also needs to be used by the people that live there, I guess tourism is a form of exploitation then, right? It is to the, to the most strict dictionary definition of exploiting, you are using it. You are you are literally using the resource um, right. to exploit. The word exploit, I think, has has a negative, a more negative co- uh, connotation. But it's um, yeah, you are exploiting the city and its location and its resources to bring in tourists or support locals or all of the above. Sure, and I think in a lot of areas, at least in the United States, uh, where 
tourist areas, areas that become touristy are also kind of the homes of the wealthy in many cases, at least in California, that seems to be a trend. Um, mm-hmm. That isn't super problematic because it, it becomes a choice then to live in that very touristy place. However, there is yeah. a side of tourism that isn't designed that way that uh, can be much more exploitative with all the negative connotations that that comes with. Yes. Yes. And I, and I did bring this up and, and I'm, and I'm glad we're going to talk about it uh, because I just got back uh, last week. I just got back from a trip to Peru where I was in uh, the city of Cusco, which is a, a pretty common base for tourists who are going to go visit Machu Picchu. And we didn't end up going to visit Machu Picchu, which is one of the great wonders of the world. And I, I, I'm really upset that our it, a lot of things went wrong in our trip and we, and we didn't end up making it out there. So we just stayed in the city of Cusco, which has a tendency because of it, its use as a, as a base to go to Machu Picchu, uh, kind of has a tendency to be a little bit more transitive for um, for tourists, just kind of passing through. But we got to spend like three or four days there just observing uh, how tourism and how uh, like our presence and the presence of the thousands and thousands of other people visiting had on the city itself. And Cusco, Peru is one of the most beautiful cities I've ever seen with my own two eyes. Um, it, there's a lot of uh, poverty in Peru. And it's, um, there's a lot, of, it's a lot of stray dogs and a lot of crumbling infrastructure and, and, and wonderful, wonderful people and great food and, and really welcoming atmosphere but the city is literally built on the ruins of an ancient incan like holy place there were there were temples and 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 other in machu picchu you know these really like important places culturally to a people that were conquered and nearly wiped out and then the and then the people that conquered the city built a new city on top of the old city. So you can literally see in the, in the buildings where, uh, where one culture ends and the other one begins. And it's, it's really, it was a, a little off putting to, to be there. And every, and everyone was so friendly and we had such a nice time, but a lot of the tourism there, a lot of the, the tours that they offered, the city tours they offered and the, um, souvenirs they were selling and the people walking around trying to earn money by taking pictures with you. They were walking alpacas down the street and you pay money to take a picture with an alpaca. They're just trying to make their money and make their living on this like tourist idea of what Cusco Peru should be. And I was lucky and we were lucky enough. We did a, um, we did a bus tour, uh, even though I, I, I was genuinely, I felt bad because the traffic in in the city was bad enough not to mention adding you know really tall buses driving around at breakneck speeds but we did this the city tour that took us just a little bit outside the city and up into this mountain where we got to meet a a man who was still practicing and still uh teaching ancient incan practices he had um he had a, a ritual that he showed us um, that involved coca leaves, and he had 
um, like oil and and smoke that he that he was using to give blessings to the mountain and to the city and to us who visited him. And he did this whole performance, really, of this really, really old, old tradition that has been nearly entirely wiped out. And at the end of it, he said in in his language um, that was translated then into Spanish and then into English, um, he told us to take all the pictures and all the videos that we wanted and to tell everyone about what we saw because otherwise his entire culture was going to just disappear. And without awareness and without this like performativity, it would, his lifestyle, his livelihood, his lifestyle and his like religion would just disappear altogether. And so I felt conflicted and I felt, and, and, and we, we, you know, we, we, we paid them and, and we took pictures and we, and we, and I did what he asked. I shared the, the pictures on, on my social media and I've been telling everyone who will listen about how, how special I felt like we had been let in on something really special and really secret. And, and despite how bad I felt before about the bus in traffic and, uh, how tourism kind of feels like it's taking over the city that has other like really, really pressing problems. I felt like we had been given a, like a, a gift, like a really tasteful gift that, yeah, we're going to kind of exploit a little bit. We're going to, to post pictures on Instagram where he's, he probably doesn't know a lot about Instagram. He didn't seem like the kind of guy who knew a lot about Instagram, but he wanted us to share because he wanted us to kind of use his culture as a jumping off point for education. And so I, I brought this up and I tell this story at length to pose in, into this episode and into this conversation, the question, when does, when, when does the education and, uh, and like cultural, like exploiting a culture, become become when does exploiting a culture become education and when does that education and spectacle become um become tourism like like is is that was it inappropriate for us to enjoy and share and uh and take pictures of this man's culture um, for educational purposes and other and other places that you could visit that might be culturally important, but maybe a little like sensitive. Um, it's important, I think, to to share. It's important to share those things and educate people, especially young people, on traditions that are that are dying. And but but to do it in a way that is tasteful and not uh, damaging is a really hard line to walk and i feel like this tour walked that line really closely um but we i think we stayed on the tasteful side of it i certainly i felt i was really moved and really impressed by the whole thing and i think that it's an experience that i would want more people to have and to talk and share um but it there there were a couple of of moments where it could have turned really really um exploitative 
I agree. I, I think I think <laughs> it rides a very fine line. And as somebody who was not there hearing your story, I feel like what what makes the line a little less fine here, and I did not mean to rhyme, but the the <laughs> thing that makes the line a little less fine in this case is the is the apparent consent of the possibly exploited party, which I, I guess is really difficult in a situation where it sounds almost desperate, right? The, the, the culture is very, very small at this point and that many people have died and that there isn't a lot of chances to spread the culture anymore. So in desperation, it becomes connected to tourism and part of a capitalistic endeavor to spread the culture if that's the best option available that keeps it for me feeling a little less exploitative however again the line is fine um it's very fine and it, it really is a difficult question to ask and i feel like so often when we when we engage in practices of tourism we forget about the people that live right there and we forget about all of the dense history of almost every place that human beings inhabit uh and to to say oh i can just see the highlights and and take a couple of good photos and bounce out i mean there is that's a loaded thing to do isn't it especially if the place that you're doing that is susceptible to that kind of exploitation so alice i don't think i'm here to offer an answer um but I'm glad you shared because it's an amazing question uh, and it is an important one. And I think we should post or we should pose this question to our audience who maybe can help us sort our way through this. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to know. I'd like to t- talk to people if we want to have this conversation on on Discord or if you want to send us an email with your opinion on this. I want to know, too, about other places, not necessarily just Cusco and this specific example, but other places of historical significance that have to do with really like sensitive topics, like uh, like turning a concentration camp into a museum, for example, or um, or a battlefields in these these places of like of like horror and death and destruction that get turned into places of education and learning and 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 is is what we did in in Cusco the same is it is it is it similar and I hope I would hope so I felt like it was I felt like I learned a lot um but but is is it a is it appropriate to to turn to consistently turn places like that into uh into museums and, and opportunities for education. I want to know. I'd like to talk about it. And I, I I think it's it's it was an interesting quandary that uh, that sat in my brain the entire eight hour flight home. And I'm, I'm glad we did it. But I, I yeah, it's um, it's tricky. It is. Well, Alice, I guess that means that our conversation right now about tours, tourism and tourists has come to a close. But as we said, the conversation does continue online. You can follow us collectively on Twitter at Happy Places Pod, or you can follow us individually. I'm at Alice White THP for those happy places. 
And I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And if you find us on Twitter, you can also find us on Discord. Yeah, that's right. We have a great Discord server full of interesting and wonderful conversations uh, crossing multiple topics. We even had a Game of Thrones spoiler channel, if that is something that you want to talk about with us. (laughs) Uh, I am excited to share more about my feelings about Game of Thrones. So if you want to jump into that Discord, find a link on one of our Twitters. Um, Alice, you know what? Right now, our theme music is starting to rev up. Our theme music is Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Alvin. That's right. Uh, You can find the Feet Warmers and the rest of their music at www.californiafeetwarmers.com. And Alice, I also will add some additional music to this episode. Well, where did you find that additional music, buddy? All of my additional music comes from Kevin McLeod and the Free Music Archive. You can find all of that at incompetech.com. Thank you so much, Kevin, for all of your great comp- compositions that you make available for free for podcasters and YouTubers and other creative people on the internet to use. You are a champion. And thank you to you, the listeners, for uh, t- for tuning in and for uh, sticking with us. Uh, if you want to support the show, we do have a Patreon uh, if you go to patreon.com slash those happy places, you can find uh, many tiers of uh, various donation levels. Uh, we publish uh, mini-sodes there, uh, monthly mini-sodes, where you, you, you can get bonus content at any donation level. And we just posted uh, a mini-sode about beta testing theme park rides, uh, which is a super fun listen you won't want to miss. Uh, so again, that is uh, patreon.com slash those happy places. Alice, thank you so much for doing this episode with me. I feel like it got very personal and I, I really love when our episodes go that way. Yeah, thank you so much. I it really this idea started when on the flight home from Peru. And I'm really, really glad that we got to turn it into uh, this episode, uh, which I think turned out really well. So, buddy, thank you for being a great co-host. And Alice, thank you for always bringing great perspectives on things. And to everyone out there, thank you for listening. And we hope you return to those happy places. 